Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There's no secret my next guest is, yes, very important to me. We're colleagues, but more important to me than that, we're very dear friends. You know it, I'm talking about the very beautiful Amanda Keller. Now, we've been mates pretty much since the moment we met, and Amanda's become extremely important in my life. So, it's time to finally welcome her to the show. Amanda Keller, thanks for coming on Hammer at Home. <laughs> I've been waiting by the phone for the invitation. You have as well. Now, Amanda, I want to talk about your childhood. We want to start at the beginning, that's for sure. But I want our listeners to understand how nervous I've been in the eight years that we've worked together. And you have been very thoughtful to me and you've always held my hand. You've always uh, made me feel safe and secure on the couch there at the living room. And... I'm going to say it, I'm nervous now. The Queen of Radio. Really? Uh, someone who's interviewed incredible people from all over the world. So I need you to help me out with this as well. What, Amanda, should be the first question I ask you? Oh, that's tough. Um, when am I going to marry Justin Trudeau? Will we start with that one? Mm. Um, oh, I don't know. Look, I, I, oh, that's a hard one. Well, that's why what I would, put it to you. What would I, are you going to make me interview myself? <laughs> first question I don't know, but the, the What stuff would you ask Amanda Keller? She's amazing. You know what? The stuff that I've been thinking about lately, and this is the stuff I thought it would get about recently, I guess, in light of the Logie campaign, which is such a brutal campaign, mm. but where you have to spruik yourself and it's so very hard. Um, but I felt really proud that at the age of 57 – Oh, this is the oldest I've ever been, Barry. Ago? Oh, how t- <laughs> that's the opposite of a compliment. No, <laughs> no it's not, says Barry. Um, but to be more uh, professionally fulfilled now than I've ever been, and being busy is one thing. You can be busy and not enjoy your life or your career. But to be offered more things now that are so interesting, I didn't have role models who were my age when I grew up. And I think it's, a, it's great that if you look at the telly and in the media now, so many more women who are in their 40s and 50s and 60s are, are still working and mm. I think that's amazing. So um, that's the stuff that I've been thinking about in terms of my career recently. So if you want to start with that, Barry, I'll shut you down instantly because I've already spoken about that. You I'm sorry. have, but it, it's raised the question. How uh, old are you? Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> Cut you in half and count the rings. Now, there are some amazing women uh, in Australian media, right across Australia, quite frankly. Who would you have wanted to be that role model if you could have had them back then? Well, actually, Yana Vent was every schoolgirl's role model. Right. Because she was sassy, she was gorgeous, um, she was smart, she held her own, and she just tra- and she travelled the world. She was like... A smart Barbie. A smarby. <laughs> a smarby. <laughs> so I, I think she was probably 
the role model that I had in the media when I was watching telly. I'm guessing it was her. Yeah, but what I'm asking, and that she would have been an amazing role model, but with some of the great women that are out there today... Oh, I see. Who would that... Which one of those would you have picked if, uh, if they were around back when you needed a role model? Um, there's so many. Like Lisa Wilkinson I really rate. Lee, Lee Sales. These, mm. women's are f- women's. these women are friends of mine, so it seems strange to... But absolutely those women. And Lee is so devilishly smart that if you didn't know her... I'd probably be f- intimidated by her, but she's so funny and so daggy that uh, and Annabelle Crabb, th- mm. those they're all just fabulous women who are great at their jobs. They're well read. They're politically astute in a way that just is so awe inspiring, um, and yet they're really good, fun women. Mm. I think that's the perfect combination of a role model. That's what I would look at. Tell me this, when, uh, whenever I talk about children or talk to people about their children, you often hear comments like, oh, this kid's got talent, this kid is going to go somewhere, uh, she's really got what it takes to be someone special. Who said that about you when you were a young girl? Isn't it funny? I don't think I was. My parents prob- probably liked me. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of jobs, I always, when I look back at it, there must have been some reason why I've had a certain progression and get hired. But I just felt that I was in the right place at the right time and a door closed and another door opened. But it's interesting that Simon Townsend, even a journalist told me just last week that he wished he'd hired me when I was in my mid-twenties when I applied for... I was working there as a segment producer. What age were you when you a started researcher. with Simon? Um, it was my first job. So I'd come out of uni, so I was probably 23, Uh 22, and I was a researcher and I applied after a year of that to be a reporter and didn't get the job. But he has said a number of times since, and I don't know whether he's rewriting history and saying I should have hired her because I went on to do things. He thought, oh, she actually was okay. Mm. Or whether he saw something then, I don't know. Ray Martin, these people... Ray Martin was a great mentor of mine. I was a segment producer on The Midday Show. Yeah. And he said, I think you should be doing some stories in front of the camera. So Ray's probably the first person who said those words to me, maybe. Yeah, right. So I'm, I'm really interested in that. Did you ever at any time in your childhood think that you could have, could have possibly uh, had the fame and fortune that you've... you've Received? No, I, I was probably like you. I came from a very modest family and I had dreams. My diary is filled with dreams of wanting to be an actress and wanting to be famous. So excruciatingly embarrassing. But that was dream stuff. That was never really what reality was ever going to be. So I think I chose to study journalism because I thought that's a sensible way to write stories and to whatever because showing off really wasn't an option. And I wasn't a show-off kid. I really wasn't. Um, I did some plays at uni and whatever, but I've never been a, a stand-up comedian. I've never been a giant look-at-me show-off. Mm. I've heard you describe yourself occasionally as a, a, as a bit of a nerd when you were a kid. You were mm. definitely a, a book body. You grew up in, in Beecroft or Carlingford. Yeah, uh, depends which of my parents you asked. We, we did grow up in <laughs> on the Beecroft, but we were on the border and I went to Carlingford High, but That's we it. did... Now, our street said Beecroft, if you don't mind, Barry, please, That's thank it. you. A little bit upper class, I yeah. like it. <laughs> but what was the household of the, of the Keller home like? Uh, there was dad, there was mum, there was a brother who was two years older than me. 
Um, and I, it was a, when I look back, it was an idyllic childhood. I, that's how I see it as this great suburban upbringing. We lived in Brisbane when I was born in Brizzy. Uh, we went to Perth for two years with Dad's job. But we came to Sydney when I was probably in fifth class. Fifth class. So what, I've been about ten, I yeah. think. Yeah. So I've lived in Sydney since then. Everyone else has left. Mum and Dad went back to Queensland when I was at university and my brother, um, when he finished studying, went to live in Queensland. So I'm the only one now in in Sydney. You know, I'm a big believer that um, you become the adult you're going to be from about 7 to 12. The way you're treated, the the lessons you learn uh, in that era or stage of development, they stay with you right through adulthood. I believe that. Can you think of anything that may have happened to you through that period, 12 through about 13, 12, something like that, that would have helped get you to where you are today? Not really. Not that I can think of. My family's always had a really rich sense of humour, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Dad would buy us Monty Python records and um, things like that. So being slightly sarcastic has always been a big part of my family. Mm. That probably honed a certain sensibility or sense of humour. But I can't think of anything in particular that that happened that I can say, well, that led to that. Mm. But I guess, you know, when I look at my own children, I think what is it that they'll cherry-pick from their upbringing? Mm. When When they were given, you know, teddy bears and stuff as babies, I think... We can't decide which of these will be their favourite or which of these they'll remember. That's their journey. And I often think that Harley and I have created this life for our children and a home and family stories that we all share. But even now they say, remember when that happened? I think, no, gee, that don't remember that. But that's, that's their memory of that event. So I don't think from the, we can predict what, what our kids will take from from their lives either. I mean, you you are witty and funny and smart and all those things, but you've got an incredible work ethic. Is did that was that formed in those yeah. years? You, you think? know what I think that formed, and that was Simon Townsend's Wonderworld. I think. So you don't think you had the work ethic in, until then? Or? I don't think so. Really? I think it was just that show, and I've talked to other people who worked there too. A lot of my friends, we all that were was our first jobs. It was a tough place to work. It was a children's show. But it was really tough. And we had to come up with two stories a day each. There were two researchers. Four stories a day were filmed. If there was a cyclone in Queensland, the crew phoned you and said, what are we going to do? Because we had to find another story. Had to do stories where there was no power, where there was no nothing, where there was a tornado. You had to film. Four stories had to be filmed every day. Mm. And it took me a couple of years after I left Wonderworld to be able to wake up and enjoy the sound of rain on the roof and not think <laughs> I'm going to have to reschedule a story. And these were the days before uh, email, before mobile phones, before whatever. So I think that show created that work ethic. And I think it's just the nature of the work I've done. Beyond 2000, you're overseas, you've got a crew, the, you've got to come back with 28 stories, they're scheduled for you. Mm. You get up in the morning and you do them. I don't think you'd have lasted on those productions if you didn't. So I don't know if the work ethic came from inside me or it was just the nature of the job. You said to get up and do it. I, um, I'm very lucky. I got a great work ethic but uh, I hated school, uh, hated every part of school and I didn't, I didn't get much from it. You, as a close friend, know that. Uh, when I left school I couldn't read and write. I don't do that very well these days. Uh, a couple of the people I've talked to on this podcast uh, really emphasise 
that there was someone at school, there was someone at university that really inspired them. Uh, you were a nerdy girl from Breakoff slash Carlingford. Uh, let the slash go, Barry. Let the slash go. <laughs> <laughs> and then you went to university in the country and, mm. and I imagine that was a, a wildly different experience. What, what did you get from that? Interesting. I had a teacher in, pri- in high school. Uh, Mrs Vale was her name. And she, we all idolised her. She was my English teacher. And she treated us like adults and she stuck out by a mile. We had a couple of good teachers, mm. I mean, a couple of great teachers. But she in particular really forged um, a desire in me to be good, to be – to be, to be, I loved English anyway – but she spoke about her own life to us. She encouraged us and we all wanted to impress her um, in so many ways. And I, she was a huge inspiration to me. And then when I went to uni, I think I just met like-minded people. I met, you know, well, a lot of Andrew Denton I met at uni and all these groups of who I now work with as writers and journalists and all kinds of people I see in my life now, professionally and personally, I met at Bathurst. And it was a big deal for me. I think I'd moved away from home. It was quite a sheltered upbringing. I was a dag at school. I never drank and never went out and never did any of those things. Mm. And so when I went to uni, I thought, now's my chance to reinvent myself, really. So, so is that when you opened up? Did you did you drink and smoke I, and do I, all I wild didn't, things? I never smoked and I was still was a big dag of wanting relationships. I didn't go crazy, you know thinking, okay, mm. ten boyfriends in a day. I just wanted, you know, to still to marry a bit of Barry Manilow along the way. <laughs> so it was um, – but I did work out that how – that you can combine going to a party, having a drink, having a life and getting your assignments done just. I took my foot off the pedal at school because mm. mum didn't have a chance to have an education like I did. Mm. And so she said – the phrase that we always laughed at was – get your the world's your oyster get your piece of paper in the world's your oyster and i've only just started liking oysters in recent years ironically <laughs> but that was a big deal so i worked hard at school and then i kind of worked out a different balance when i went to uni and suddenly there were my my opinions that i had to forge what do i think about this rather than what's my mum's opinion on this yeah right tell me this uh, you said that um you wanted to be a bit daggy and, and have a relationship. Why is having a relationship daggy? Not daggy, but it wasn't, as you're saying, deciding who am I now and uh, going off the leash. I still um, wanted to be in love rather than to um, just go to a bar and you know, bar night and pash off with mm. a guy. As much as I would have enjoyed that as well, I was still old school or maybe it's new school. Maybe you're making an interesting point. But I, I always wanted relationships. Ten a day, sure. <laughs> Stop out. <laughs> <laughs> Never said how long they had to be. No, I was, I was kind of um, what I thought then was old-fashioned in that way. Yeah, right. And it's, it's interesting. I talked to a lot of millennials and uh, they have had a lot of uh, short-term relationships, online relationships, that sort of thing. But they'd love to be able to have that romantic, long-term meaningful relationship we all do don't we and really maybe that's what human nature that's what the heart is looking for all along hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass." 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. G'day, Sandra Sully here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you're looking for more to listen to, head over to Short Black with me next. I talk to all kinds of amazing women who are making a difference. Good women, great chat. You said uh, you started off at Simon Town's Wonderworld um, and you've worked uh, and been successful in all types of media. Uh, I've got to ask the question, TV, radio or this podcast, what's your favourite? Well, they all have different charms to them (laughs) and different skill sets. Um, it's funny that people always think that you do you're doing radio because you haven't you haven't found the proper TV gig yet. I come across that constantly. Whereas people who love radio get what's great about radio, in that and this is what you you, you be enjoying this Barry with your podcast is it it's your, your your brain and your mouth and off you go. That's it. You create the content, and I know that people uh, bang on about. For example, breakfast radio versus breakfast television. Breakfast television, um, and that's a very hard job. That would be really hard. But we come up on radio with all our content. We talk about our lives, our opinions. Um, We are generating a rundown every morning for ourselves. Mm. Um, We don't have a series of interviews every day. We don't do a whole lot of stuff where everyone else brings stuff to your show. We generate it. And that's thrilling and it's exhausting and it's hard. That's what I like about it. But television is brilliant too. I mean, every time we, the four of us are sitting on the couches for the living room, I pinch myself about how lucky are we that we've still got this. Mm. I, I'm, I feel very lucky to sit next to you, that's for sure. Uh, but before TV, I was in design and building and, and everything I worked hard on, I could touch and feel. And, um, and it seemed to be a, a legacy that lasted a long time. With radio, more so than TV, you could um, come up with all that research, do an incredible job, probably the best day that you're ever going to have. You can pump your fist and, and be happy with that. But the very next day, you've just got to do it again. It's so interesting, Barry. That is what I love and hate about it. You're quite right. It's, it doesn't feel tangible. You can have the best professional break of your life, meaning that you do a segment you think, that was great. And as we say, it's up the stick and it's gone. Yeah, yeah. And the next day, you start again with a blank piece of paper. That's what's liberating about it. So if you do something that's dreadful, it's gone. It's like, you know, they say with parenting, when you've got a baby... You've had a bad day. It's okay. Go to sleep. Start again tomorrow. It's okay. That's in a way what it is with this. But it can be frustrating that your great stuff goes too. But that's how it is. That's what I like about it as well. How do you manage that sort of that grind then? I mean, like it is a grind, and the, the radio is a grind in that it is every day. And, the, and an audience expects you to be there every day, and that's where that work ethic thing comes in. And consistency and being funny, smart, relatable, all that stuff's important. Mm. But in, my, in the radio, being consistent is everything. Someone gets into their car, they're having their worst day of their life, their best day of their life. They turn on the radio and they want to hear you. 
And I never, ever take that for granted, which is why you have to attempt when the alarm goes off at four and you hate the world to bring your best self to work. I've had some extraordinary comments and um, I, I said this in a speech when I was inducted into the Hall of Fame for radio a few years ago and I said that everyone in that room would have a story and they don't even know it where a few people, one woman in particular said to me that um, this is when I was doing a fundraiser at the spinal unit at Royal North Shore and she said her whole family's life was upside down. Her his husband um, was a quadriplegic. Mm. This, you know, spins on the head of a pin. He fell over the handlebars of his push bike riding with his son. Suddenly their lives are so, so different. She drove up from Wollongong every day up to the hospital and she said as soon as she got in range and she heard our voices, everything was okay for mm. that little bit, that little bit of comfort, that little bit of normality for that drive to the hospital. Mm. We have no idea how people are when they're listening to you. As I said, could be their hardest day, their best day. We share it with them, which is why I take seriously being there every day. That 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 consistency is a big, big part of that job. And it's not spoken about much because being consistent is boring, but that's a huge part of that job, of turning up um, in every sense of the word. Mm, incredibly powerful. I mean... You and I sat next to each other when I announced uh, that I was sick and I was scared about that at first. Uh, you held my hand and uh, I remember really clearly, I've spoken about it many times, that when that went to air and the social media started to flood in, I realised we'd done the right thing. But since then, like you and I know the same thing has happened for you, our lives exposed to the public, not exposed but we are invited into their very personal domain and they see us as family, don't they? And, and isn't it a privilege? Yeah. It's absolutely a privilege. I think my favourite compliment is when someone says, you feel like one of my girlfriends. I mean, this is what women say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Men doesn't feel God's... No, but it's, uh, well, I feel like you're my friend. Yeah. And, the, I, and when my son Liam turned 18 this year... And I was pregnant with him through my years at years when I was working with uh, Andrew at Triple M. And for me, I'd done years of IVF and I'd never said so while I was doing it. But afterwards, I, I could say why it had taken us so long to be pregnant and what it meant for me to say the words out loud that I was having a baby. Mm. I thought I'd never get to say those words. Mm. And when, when Liam's birth was announced, we spoke on the air to Andrew, Harley and I with this newborn baby in our arms and people honked their horns. I get weepy now. Mm. Mm. And it's funny that when Liam turned 18, so many people responded to that because that was a touchstone for their lives and yeah. what they were doing then yeah. and how they felt that day about their own lives. When my previous dog passed away, so many letters and emails because everyone remembered the pain of what that was for them. Mm. These experiences, for like your experience, Barry, it, people feel for you but it, it's a touchstone for, for what they're going through too, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, we're, we're very lucky. But on the subject of your boys... Um, I love those guys, you know that. Uh, when I first met them, they were just little boys, uh, but they were caring and well-behaved. Uh, a beautiful combination of your wit and sass and um, Harley's dry, considered nature. Uh, as I expected, eight years later, I think the talent we've known each other for, they've become uh, two of the nicest, handsomest, most upstanding young men you could ever want to meet. So I've got a question for you. Have you made it too difficult for them? To do what? To be to be to 
have a flight and have a a journey. Is that what you mean? No. What I mean is how will any young lady oh. they meet <laughs> come up to the standard of which you've set? But you know what's funny? They don't see me in any way like that. Really? Seriously, they don't. They would – there's one of them now. Hi. Um, <laughs> hey, Jack, are you ever going to meet a woman who can live up to how incredible I am? Uh, I'd say so. <laughs> <laughs> There's a story I love about Jack, actually. And uh, being as famous as you are, you ended up uh, as a wax figure in a Mm. museum. And I remember a story that Jack, when he saw that wax figure, Mm. had had quite an interesting question, didn't he? I know he checked to see if I had undies on and he put his (laughs) finger up my nose. Oh, I thought that was going somewhere else. My finger up my nose. Yeah. And interestingly, Jack has just told us he's pretty sure he's going to find a woman to measure. <laughs> 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 as long as we're all wearing undies, yeah. we'll all be and, fine. And so long as she's made of wax. <laughs> <laughs> Don't like the wick. Yeah, I'm interested. Uh, what What do you think the boys will be looking for in a partner then? Well, this is, I guess, what I was referring to earlier. I don't know how they'll respond to any of their lives until until they're doing it. And I really thought this when Liam turned eighteen, and actually the the emotion of all that IVF stuff washed over me like a, like a bit crashed over me when Liam turned 18 because I think I'd worked, I'd worked so hard those early years trying to get pregnant and just head down, bum up, just doing, working to, and, and getting through the medical procedures and things and then mm. suddenly there's a, new, there's a baby and then there's another baby. Mm. And it's only when Liam turned 18 that I kind of felt... My, my achievement and, and felt like all that I'd been through to get here. Mm. Um, and um, Do you love everything that you've been through to get here? Oh, absolutely. Mm. But in terms of what I had to do to have a baby mm. and here he was at 18 and because I'm getting older, I've forgotten the question you just asked me. <laughs> but, but all that stuff when he was 18, that's what I was going to say is that having these two children, and you'll feel like this, Barry, we always cry when we talk about our children. Mm, we do. That my life, even though I'd been married for 10 years before Liam came along and I, you know, I was nearly 40 mm. when Liam was born and 41 when Jack was born, but I, I feel like my life began then and, and yet I think about – and I, it makes me weepy about my mum. I left home so casually. Mm. And that's now their job to do that. Mm. And, and I'm hoping I'll be gracious when they go because Liam's wanting to study away next year. And that same thing of really his life for him, he'll feel, begins when he leaves home. That's how I felt. So the groundwork is done. And as you say, that can be between the ages of, you know, your, your, your family create the bedrock for you, mm. good or bad. All those eccentricities and nuances are all in there. But I remember leaving home and going, wow, now it's, isn't this great? Mm. And yet so I've only really written the foreword for them and they've now write the book without me. Mm. And oh, it's heartbreaking. Oh, it's beautiful though, just, mm. just, just to hear you say it. It's, um, I know you're a little emotional at the second, but just the way Every you second, descri- I described all that, I, uh, I feel I've had a couple of lives and one of them started uh, the day I met you. And uh, I'd spent a year on TV, but for me it was like uh, I, I was standing on the station minding my own business and 
Next minute, I was sitting in the front row of first class on a, on a train going a million miles an hour. I didn't really understand why I was there or what I was doing, quite frankly. But at, the, at an upfront at Channel 10, I bumped into you and um, so much of uh, even this conversation, you and I got to talk about that very first night. And mm. we both talked about how I was married for 10 years before uh, children came along. And, and when we first started our journeys of, of creating our families, our parents were alive or our mums were alive. And that was something that you and I shared is that uh, they weren't alive to, to see our children. It, 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 uh, it's had an effect on me, but it's all these things that make up uh, all those things add up to the, to the lives we have, which are pretty special. Oh, absolutely. And and I'm now picturing what the next phase is without without um, being a school mother. Yeah. yeah. So Before we jump into the next phase, mm. you know, everybody knows it, no one more than me, that you're smart, funny, talented. Uh, but you have... You left out foxy, Barry. Foxy, witty. Thank you. Eyes like the ocean, <laughs> they say. Read the card. But the, the thing that I love is that you have this unique ability to balance life no one sort of misses out on you uh you have time for your fans as we've discussed your work colleagues but especially your family what's the secret there to that balance oh gosh i don't think there is one and there are some weeks where the balance works and other weeks where they don't but life's life's about life and i and i think day to day there's ups and downs but as as a as a as a life you have an incredible balance you couldn't do it you couldn't withstand that daily grind uh unless everything was intact how do you do that well i think when i went back to work when liam was a baby i was on radio and contractually i had to go back after four months or something so, but I'd come home at 9.30. Mm. Well, actually, my second day back was September 11. So I wow. came back substantially later than that. But Harley, who'd been working freelance uh, as a um, documentary maker, mm. spe- stepped, I don't even want to say step back, stepped sideways. So that he was the one who, while I get up in the morning, and always has, I get up four o'clock and head off. He's the one who's here to get everyone off to school. He's the one, if the kids are sick, there's a phone call and if I'm not about, you know, he's, he, if I'm on air and I can't pick them up, whatever, he's there. So as a, as a couple, we've made that, that choice that someone is constantly available. Um, as I get older, though, and I'm only just starting to feel this now, is that I have often haven't carved out any time for me in there. Actually, when the kids were little and I'd head off to the gym and they'd say, oh, don't go, I knew that the minute... I stayed home and didn't go. They'd be off doing something else. So mm-hmm. I would still say I'm going to do this for me. But I'm trying to get better at not filling the diary to please other people. That's what I'm working on at the moment yeah, right. in my life. Mm-hmm. In that, Because I don't go out during the week, because I have um, you know, radio commitments, get up so early, my weekends are chockers. And I'll try and squeeze in everyone's requests, every social request, every whatever. Mm. And my favourite thing is to have nothing to do. And I, I think for my head I need to do that more often. When I was doing Dancing with the Stars, I said, okay, for these ten weeks I'm doing nothing, no socialising, nothing, just to have rest time. And I, it was so important and so enjoyable. I thought I need to be better at that all year round. Mm. So when you talk about balance, I think family balance is great. And Harley once said, I remember I was going through a hard time at work. I can't remember where I was working. Probably at the living room if it was a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> it was year ago, years ago, pre-children. 
And he, we were living up at the northern beaches and he took my hand and he said, let's step out onto the balcony and he said, here's your life, here's our life, this is the stuff. And I've, I've really remembered that, that I think your real life is what happens when you go home and you close the door. Mm. And if that's not right, nothing's right. So I try and um, hold on to that too. And that's the secret to a balanced life is to you've got that constant output but if you've got everything else in balance, you, you can manage it. Yeah. Was it a strategy or just good luck that you've always been surrounded by good men? Isn't it interesting? It's Actually, it's true. I know you're smiling as you say it but it's so true. Yeah. Um, I don't know but I absolutely have and it's only when I look back I think, wow, they'd been teams of men. Mm. Um, lots of female producers and female executives more and more, which is good. They're not just always the female um, uh, assistant producers. They are now the executive producers yeah. and network executives. But on on air, on radio and on television, I've worked with men. Um, I, I, I don't know why that is. Maybe that's just I've been the female in the team. Um, but they have all been good men. They've yeah. all been good men. Uh, another uh, relationship you have and you've had for a long time is this one with Jonesy, Brendan Jones, yeah. on the radio. Your yeah. show on the radio is fantastic. Thank you, Barry. Uh, and, and I know that uh, he has his way, Jonesy. is an incredible guy. But you're very different characters. We're very yin and yang. He's like, I, I, he's like a kid brother. And some days he's a cheese grater on your face <laughs> and other days we laugh and laugh. Most days we laugh. Yeah. But that's – we know – we've worked together for 14 years now. We know each other's triggers. So sometimes he'll say something and I'll respond and I'll go, why have you said that? I said, well, if you poke the spider, mm. you, a spider's going to react. Yeah. So we know each other's bruises, um, which makes for, I think, an entertaining show but also there's a great – Friendship, so there's a safety net underneath that of knowledge of of the other person. Yeah. So it's a nice combination because it's a very small room to be in with somebody every single day. Every single day. Mm. As you see, you've been in that room with Jonesy for 14 years. Uh, you've worked with myself, Chris, and Miguel for the last eight. Mm. You've had an incredible career. What's What's the future for Amanda Keller? Oh, I've, I don't know, and I like not knowing. Mm. I like. Um, and I, that's always been the way that I, I never – I used to worry me that I didn't have a big plan and now I like that I don't have a big plan. I will be 158,000 years old um, next year and then older than that again <laughs> the year after. So I can see myself not being as busy but I can't imagine not doing anything. So I, 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 the combination for me at the moment, radio and living room and at the beginning of the year Dancing with the Stars is perfect because – it's busy without being stressful and I'm well aware of that difference. I don't like stress um, and, I, and I don't like uh, – I'm happy when things are linear. If I wake up in the morning and there's a couple of knobbly things that day, that's hard. If it's just the usual, then that's good. Mm. You said that you love the fact that you don't know what's next. Uh, I want to pose a question for you. We, we're really lucky uh, on TV – Everything you and me do on TV, and you've been doing it for a lot longer than me, but that's all documented. And for generations to come, our offspring, uh, mm. uh, our great great grandchildren, um, be able to recall this stuff and, and see it. I think that's just one of the gifts of life that the last eight years of my life has effectively been documented the ups and the downs. So, 
I want you to imagine this, at your age uh, and the, the, the wealth of knowledge that you've taken in over your lifetime, uh, the experiences you've had, even though you love to not know what's coming up next, imagine your great-great-great-great-granddaughter. She's 12 years old, uh, heading to high school next year. What's that one lesson that you've learned up to date that you think is very important to tell her right now? Wow, what a question. Um, I think it's about um, don't, don't, <laughs> how's that? Just don't. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the same thing that I tell my sons now, I think, which is don't lock yourself in. You don't need to limit yourself. You have a thousand ways to constantly reinvent, to try new things, to change direction. This path isn't going where you're interested. Turn around and find another path. You, you're, you're free to, to in, as far as you can, invent yourself constantly. So this is the same concept, I guess, as choosing happiness, that uh, I'm not unrealistic that in workplaces and things you don't always get choices, but really career-wise, move around if you like, if it suits you. And oh, God, it's hard to imagine what I'd say to my own 12-year-old self, let alone a future one living on planet Mars. Mm. Um, I think it's the same tenets is try and be a good person, yeah. try and surround yourself with good people and try and find love in your life. I love that. I think that's great advice and uh, I've really enjoyed this chat. At the start, I asked you to help me out, to, to come up with that one question that a novice interviewer should ask the great Amanda Keller. Mm. We're at the end of the interview, so how should I finish this off? Is there anything that I haven't asked that I should have asked? Would you like a cup of tea? <laughs> <laughs> Only if Harley doesn't make it. <laughs> I know that you're bugbear, my husband's cups of tea. No, Barry, I could talk to you for a thousand hours and I do talk to you for a thousand hours, but I can't think of anything that we should be discussing that we haven't. I've loved it. Thanks. Can we do it again? Yeah, let's do Part it again two? soon. Yeah. Sure. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that chat as much as I did. Uh, you know I'm always looking for information. If you want to send me an email, send it to hammeratthome at network10.com.au. Got a couple more reviews this week and a few five-star ratings, which I love. Uh, this one comes from Jack. Jack says, fell into this because of Stephen Chi, who is someone I admire as a photographer. It was a great chat and I found myself binge listening to all the episodes. Thanks very much, Jack. I love it. Uh, again, always looking for those reviews. Send them and I'll tell you about them. Take care, everyone, and I'll see you next week on Hammer at Home. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.